now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards, coming to you this week, not from the kitchen table, but from the uh, NRA News Cam and Company Studios in Farmville, Virginia, which is, I am uh, pleased and kind of amazed to be able to say, the site of the 2016 vice presidential debate. That's right. That's right. October the 4th, which is a Tuesday, 2016, at uh, Longwood University, just a couple of blocks from where our studio is in uh, downtown Farmville, Virginia. The world will be watching the vice presidential candidates debate. Don't know who the uh, candidates will be. Actually, you know, we really don't even know how many candidates will be up on stage, quite frankly. I have my theory of the uh, apocalyptic election scenario. I've I've laid this down a couple of times on NRA News Cam and Company, but let me just offer a uh, a theory. Not even a theory, because it's not even really a theory. Let me just offer a a, a hypothetical situation that we could see um, in this election season. So let's say, for instance, that on the Republican side, whoever the eventual nominee is, um, there are enough discontented Republicans slash conservatives that a third party uh, campaign is launched. This, by the way, could happen if there is an establishment candidate who wins the nomination. It could also happen if there is a non-establishment candidate uh, who uh, would win the nomination. The losing side could be upset enough to try to run a third party. Uh, over on the Democratic side, the possibility also exists of a split. Um, it's not talked about as much in the uh, uh, news as much as you know the, uh, the the conflicts within the Republican Party, but there are real deep divisions over on the Democratic side of things too. So it is possible that if uh, a Bernie Sanders, the uh, the non uh, traditional non, I mean it's hard to call him non-establishment because he's a U.S. senator. So let's say the non-traditional candidate, uh, the the insurgent uh, candidate for the left, let's say he wins the nomination. I think it's entirely possible that uh, the quote-unquote establishment uh, Democrats would say, well, we're going to lose, so we need to run another candidate. Uh, It is possible but less likely, perhaps, that if the establishment candidate wins, whoever that might be, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, that uh, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, would decide, all right, I'm I'm not happy with this. I'm going to go ahead and and run uh, third party or I guess now we're up to four, aren't we? Up to four candidates, yeah. And at that point, you also have the Libertarian candidate, you have the Green Party candidate. So now you're up to four, let's say, major candidates, uh, two minor parties, but still a possibility of six candidates on the ballot at that point. And at that point, if you are a billionaire who can self-finance your campaign, why wouldn't you get in? Why wouldn't you try to get on the ballot as an independent in any state that you could? Because you could win the nominee. You could win the election with far less than 50% of the vote. Bill Clinton won with, uh, what, 43% thereabouts, right? Abraham Lincoln won with 39% of the vote uh, in a four-party field. 
And, you know, it's true. Third parties um, traditionally haven't fared well in this country, even when uh, former President Teddy Roosevelt ran uh, on the uh, bull moose ticket. He came in a distant third. They can play spoilers traditionally. Uh, But there is a possibility out there. Again, I I don't know how big a possibility it is. We do, uh, I think, trend towards the norm uh, in our politics. But every now and then you'll have an election where it's anything but normal. Uh, And this could be one of those election years. Uh, And it could turn out that this is uh, the year where, at the presidential level anyway, the the party um, is almost irrelevant. And uh, you see way more than two or three uh, candidates on the ballot. Again, I don't know how likely it is that that could happen, but it is a possibility. So who knows? We could have like eight vice presidential candidates uh, at uh, Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia, coming up October 4th, 2016. But I know we'll at least have two. Uh, I I imagine um, even if politics plays out uh, like normal, you might see a, a, a third party uh, representative there on the stage. But uh, I, I'm excited. i got to tell you, the town is really excited as well that the vice presidential debates are coming here. It was the front page of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, um, the twice-weekly published Farmville Herald. I know it's going to be on the front page of the Farmville Herald. The Southside Messenger uh, will be on the front page. And it's the it's the talk on uh, WFLO in uh, Farmville as well. Everybody is really, really excited that this is happening. I am a little concerned and a little worried that uh, Farmville is going to be presented as um, bumpkin land by the media when it comes time to hold the vice presidential debates. We are, you know, three and a half hours from Washington, D.C. We are less than an hour from the state capitol in Richmond. We are home to Longwood University. We are home to Hamden City College. Uh, there, there are a, There is a great diversity of people in the Farmville area. And I don't know that that's going to come through uh, with the mainstream media. So I'm going to do my darndest when the media shows up uh, a little bit more than a year from now to uh, to try to let them know about the real Farmville. And uh, I don't know how good, a, I don't know how successful I will be. But like I said, I will try my best. Uh, but it is, it's very cool that uh, the uh, vice presidential debates are being held in the little town of Farmville, Virginia, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking more about that uh, as we get closer. I'm not going to bring it up like every podcast. I, I, I promise you that that won't that won't happen. But I will say this: if you are a member of the uh, of the, the political media, uh, someone who might be covering the vice presidential debate, or uh, even possibly interested in attending the vice presidential debate. I would go ahead and make your hotel reservations now if you're planning on staying in Farmville, Virginia, because there are not a lot of hotel options. You've got the uh, Hampton Inn. Uh, you have the Super 8. You have the Comfort Inn. There are a couple of little uh, independent uh, motels that date back to the 1950s, let's say. Uh, and a lot of those are occupied, uh, you know, on a weekly basis by uh, uh, folks who uh, work uh, here in Farmville. So, yeah, there aren't a lot of hotel rooms to be had in the town of Farmville itself. So book early if you're planning on coming here for the debate. Uh, 
As we get closer, we'll tell you about the places to eat and the things to see and do. And we'll talk about the history of Farmville. But uh, I am excited that our little town is going to be on a national stage for at least, you know, a couple of hours on an October night next year. In the meantime, it's been a busy week for Farmville and a couple of other areas. The five-county fair uh, is open for business. It will close uh, coming up on the 26th, I believe, uh, Saturday, September 26th, uh, which is also the day of the Farmville, or the Heart of Virginia, Friends of NRA Dinner. I am so excited about this. This is my favorite time of year. I always love going to Friends Dinners. I love getting a chance to go to my local Friends Dinner. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up on this episode of 40 Acres and a Fool. Plus, we will check in with you as well. I want to thank you all for uh, writing in. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. When we come back after a quick timeout, we're going to talk about the five-county fair and county fairs and state fairs and your favorite fair food and rides and our experience, which I have to say was a little disappointing this year at the uh, five-county fair. But we'll talk about what makes a great fair coming up right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back with more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. When's the last time a candidate withdrew from a presidential race and unions sent out press releases to giggle, cackle about it, mock him, and say he deserves it? Glad he's out of there. He's an embarrassment. I mean, what engenders in the left such antipathy for Scott Walker? And the answer is they, since the day he was elected, he was fighting the union leadership. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks again for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam Edwards. So, uh, some changes to the farm. We uh, got rid of one of our original roosters. Uh, He has a new home. We made a swap with uh, a couple of our friends. They gave us four hens that are almost ready to start laying we gave them a rooster who is virile uh, and will uh, uh, help contribute to the size of their flock. They're going to raise some uh, birds for meat here in the future. And uh, we actually have one young we, – we, we, so we thought we were down to one rooster, but we're not because uh, one of the younger uh, chickens, as it turns out, is not a hen uh, and is a rooster and will soon be soup, but uh, first needs to get – a little bit bigger, so th- that's the uh, the only new additions to the farm. Uh, uh, four barred rock hens uh, who will soon be laying eggs. So right now we're getting we've got seven hens that are uh, of laying age, and we're getting anywhere from I'd, I'd say three on a bad day to uh, seven on a good. But usually uh, we're getting about five eggs a day right now, which is it's nice. That's enough for breakfast. Uh, if you, if I forego breakfast, which sometimes I will do during the weekdays, by the time the weekend rolls around, there's enough to uh, not only uh, have a lot of 
eggs for breakfast, but also uh, do some baking. So it's been good. Um, the, the bacon seeds, they're all fine. We've got ham that's brining in the fridge. We've got bacon that's curing in the fridge. Not ready to go yet, but it's still still uh, getting ready. And soon, soon it will be in the smoker, and then we will be able to eat it. Uh, the goats are all doing great. We uh, still have a bunch of goats in our front yard, which is working out pretty well. And Lola, uh, our sheep as well. So we uh, we headed out to the five county fair um, Wednesday night, which is uh, why the podcast is actually a a day late because normally I record the podcast on Wednesday night. But we went to the fair, we came home uh, and got home a little late. Kids went to bed, and then it was uh, a super late. Uh, and so, yeah, the podcast was delayed because of our fair activities. I apologize for that. I'm not saying that I should have stayed home and not gone to the fair at all, but I will say that the five county fair, I, I, I wish I could give it five stars, but I can't, I can't because it's missing a couple of key fair ingredients, at least to my mind. Now, I, I don't I don't know what you think makes a great fair. I would love to hear your thoughts on what makes a fair great. What are those essential ingredients that you have to have to make your fair going experience complete? But you can email us uh 40acrefool at gmail.com and I would love to get your thoughts. We'll talk about it uh, more next week. But I've got a couple of things that I absolutely have to have in order for it to be a good fair, whether it's a state fair or a county fair. And I should say I, I know I'm a little spoiled because I grew up in Oklahoma City and I grew up going to the great state fair of Oklahoma, which is truly great. Uh, and it's huge and it goes for weeks at a time. And it's just one of the best people-watching spots. They had a great midway when I was growing up with actual, you know, like, go see the bearded lady. I mean, I it was, it was amazing. Rodeos and white snake concerts it was just it was a fantastic experience growing up so the bar is high when i go to a fair and i understand that uh but i want a couple of things one i want so many fried food options that i don't know where to eat right like oh do i want the fried alligator or do i want the deep fried turkey leg or oh my gosh do i want the deep fried macaroni and cheese balls or oh is that like a deep fried lobster i deep fried ice cream deep fried beer i want i want a deep fried smorgasbord i'm not going to eat all of them i'll i'll try but i want more options than i can eat and sadly when we arrived at the 5 county fair in uh, farmville there were Two, two food carts. There was a pizza place, and there was a place that was doing cheesesteaks and cheeseburgers and corn dogs. Uh, we actually found two more. I think the Kiwanis or the JCs had a barbecue stand, um, and then there was a stand that was selling the weird combination of you could get a fried fish sandwich, uh, you could get an order of frog's legs, and uh, you could get uh, pork rinds. <laughs> no fries or anything. You get your frog legs and pork rinds, your 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 you know fried fish and frog legs. But uh, that was what you were going to get. Uh, and then there was like the, there was the dessert cart, right, with the candied apples. There was the dessert cart with the funnel cake and uh, elephant ears. But that was it. 
So I, I was, I was disappointed, uh, that I didn't get to try anything really crazy. There were certainly not so many options that I wandered around going, Oh, what am I going to put in my belly? So that was strike one. Uh, and then I need those buildings. I didn't need this as a kid. When I, in fact, when we go to the fair as a kid, the fair really consists of the midway, right? And all of the crap that you have to walk past in order to get to the midway or occasionally a white snake show. But now as I'm older, I like the buildings full of crap. I like walking around and seeing the vinyl siding uh, booth and picking up the, the free ruler or the yardstick and accumulating pamphlets from businesses that I most likely will never use, right? But I, I, I like wandering those aisles and seeing the various displays. And the five-county fair didn't have that. They had like four displays. Uh, and it was in the same building as the arts and crafts where the ribbons are handed out. And that's cool. We did that. We we walked up and down every aisle. Some uh, pretty interesting and, and intricate uh, needlework that was done. Uh, I also saw ribbons given out for things that I had, I had never seen ribbons given out for, even in Oklahoma, like bags of uh, silage or silage. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it because... It's like grass clippings, uh, and you could get a blue ribbon for that. I had no idea that you could get a blue ribbon for this. I thought it was like chopped spinach at first, and then I saw what the uh, what the ribbon was for. It was amazing. So I needed that that building full of stuff, and and the five county fair did not have the building full of stuff. So that was strike two. Uh, and, and then one of the other things that I I absolutely have to have. Uh, in order for it to be a good fair, is there has to be some sort of attraction, right? Now, it is true that on uh, Saturday, the last day of the fair, uh, the five-county fair, they are having pro wrestling. The uh, Bruiser Wrestling Federation, uh, I believe, will be uh, holding a series of matches. And that's cool. Seriously, that's totally cool. If I didn't have the Farmville Friends of NRA dinner on Saturday night, I would go watch professional wrestling at the five-county fair. But you know what? I would also go watch Demolition Derby at the five-county fair, if that were offered. But it's not. I would go and I would watch uh, pig races, if that was offered. But it's not. I would go watch rodeo events if they had some of those, but they don't. <laughs> I'd 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 go watch Rick Springfield play or a Sticks tribute band, but they don't have that either. <sighs> right? You need an attraction. You need something. Um, you know, you don't have to have the coolest rides. You don't have to have a ton of food options. But you do need to have a draw. You've got to have a, a reason to want to go to the fair. You've got to have that good fair experience. And having those attractions uh, is one of the, the the ways you bring people in the door. Um, they had a guy making balloon animals uh, last night, and there was music playing, and I'm not really sure that the music had anything to do with the balloon animals that he was making, uh, but he seemed really into the music. The, I remember it was a pink song for whatever reason uh so you know listen it was we don't get me wrong we had a good time for a couple of hours 
wasn't the best dinner, but it was it was a good time. The uh, the kids enjoyed themselves. They did get to ride several rides. I would say also bring back the Ferris wheel because we didn't have a Ferris wheel this year. Instead, we had one of the things that you know it lifts you up and then it just like drops you down. And uh, my daughter loved that ride. My uh, son <laughs> did not. Uh, so they had a good time. We played some games. They won some little stuffed animals that, uh, will be destroyed by bullet. Uh, in fact, I think uh, two of them already were, he, he was working on a little stuffed duck, uh, this morning when I, I left for work. So it, it was a good time. It wasn't, it was, yeah, it was a good night. It was a good night, but it could be a better fare. <laughs> And I hate to be one of those people that just complains because I'm not, it's, I'm, I'm not going to join the fair board. I'm not. I'm not going to volunteer my time to uh, to try to make the fair a, a better thing because I don't I don't have that time and I don't have that dedication. And the fair is not my passion. Like one week out of the year when the fair is going on, I'm really into the fair, or at least I want to be. But I, I I'm I'm not. I'm not the guy who could uh, turn the fair around in Farmville. But I know that that person is out there. That man or woman can can do that job, can build up the five-county fair to make it great again. And I will be urging them on with lots of encouragement. Uh, and, and you know what? If that person is found, I will even provide some sweat equity. I will, I will volunteer. I just uh, I don't know the first thing about turning fairs around, so I'm not the guy to... To entrust with that, I'd start with hiring White Snake or a White Snake tribute band. That would be my first slot. Anyway, I would love to know what uh, what makes a great fair for you. Is it the Sticks tribute band? Is it the the Great Midway with you know uh, a big SpongeBob SquarePants that are like six feet tall and made in China? Uh, is it the uh, you got to have the fried turkey legs? Is there one particular dish? Is it the people watching? Let me know what you think. What are the in- essential ingredients for a great fair? The uh, email address again, 40acrefool, that's 40acrefool at gmail.com. All right, we're going to step away for just a moment. When we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, I mentioned I will not be watching the professional wrestling at the five-county fair on Saturday because the Heart of Virginia Friends of NRA dinner is taking place. I'm really excited about this. We're going to talk about it after a quick timeout. So stick around. We'll be right back with much more. 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show. Buy a car. Get on an airplane. Get married. Purchase a gun. Adopt a pet. Apply for a hunting license. Apply for a fishing license. Buy a cell phone. Visit a casino. Get a prescription. Buy an M-rated video game. What do all of those have in common? The Jeff Fisher Show. Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks to the Blaze Radio Network for hosting us. My name is Cam Edwards. This is 40 Acres and a Fool. And coming up on September 26th, I am so excited. My favorite gun store 
is rolling into town. It's the uh, annual Friends of NRA dinner, the Heart of Virginia chapter of the Friends of NRA. And this will be my third year. Uh, the dinner's only been going on for four years, and I've been here for three out of the four. And it is fantastic. If you have never been to a Friends of NRA dinner, um, allow me to tell you why you need to go. First of all, I assume that most people uh, who are listening to the podcast, our are, are gun owners, are here uh, because of NRA News Cam and Company, which, of course, you can hear weekdays live, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the new NRANews.com, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific, on Sirius X and Patriot 125, and on demand all the time on iHeartRadio and through iTunes. So I assume that we have a lot of gun owners who are listening. I assume that we have a lot of NRA members uh, who are listening to this program. But I will not assume that everybody has been to a Friends of NRA dinner. But you should attend a Friends of NRA dinner. Um, it is a great way to meet your fellow gun owners in your community. You know, you'll know some folks from your local range if you if you go to a, a local range. Uh, some of you might not have to go to a local range. Some of you may be able to just go shoot on your property. Uh, and in that case, it's a really good way to get to know some of your fellow gun owners. Uh, for me, having moved into the area, you know, um, a, a, couple of, a couple of years ago, this was fantastic for me because I, I didn't grow up in the Farmville area. You know, I don't know uh, people from around here since birth or before birth because you've got families that have known each other for hundreds of years. I don't have that connection. Uh, but by going to my local Friends of NRA dinner, I got to meet a lot of really cool people uh, in the NRA and in my local community. The money that is raised at a Friends of NRA dinner, half of it stays right there in the state. And there's a really good chance that uh, a lot of that money that is raised is going to stay local to your chapter. Uh, it's really, really, it's a, just it's a great feeling when you're there at the dinner and uh, in my case, David Wells, the NRA field rep for this part of Virginia, he'll go through and he'll talk about the grants that were given uh, out by the NRA Foundation thanks to the generosity of people at a Friends of NRA dinner. And whether it's the local range, your local police department, junior shooting sports clubs, I mean, the the, the, the list goes on and on. I know in our area, the uh, local 4-H shooting sports a program at uh, Holiday Lake State Park. The Boy Scouts got some funding. I believe the uh, Prince Edward County Sheriff's Office received some funding as well. It's cool to be a part of that. Um, and, I, you know, if you, so if you go to uh, friendsofnra.org, that's the website, uh, you can click events and there's a map that'll open up and just click your state and there is something, I, I, I'm almost positive that there will be something taking place near you soon. So, like, I just clicked on the state of Virginia. We've got the uh, event coming up in uh, Farmville on uh, September 26th in uh, uh, Keswick, Virginia. I think it's Keswick. Uh, October the 2nd, there's an event. October 3rd in Chincoteague. Man, that would be a cool event, by the way. Go over, see the wild horses, go to a Friends of NRA dinner, say hi to Misty of Chincoteague. Uh, October 17th, Winchester, Virginia. Again, what a great place for a Friends of NRA dinner in Winchester, right? (laughs) 
And that's just, that's just in Virginia. Just over the uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm curious about what's taking place in, uh, in Texas. Oh, there's a lot of events coming up in Texas as well. Uh, Dalhart, Texas, Saturday, September 26th. October the 3rd, Pampa, Texas. October the 6th in uh, Rusk, Texas. And then you've got uh, Falfurius, Texas on Friday, October the 9th. Brady, Texas on uh, Saturday, October the 10th. Brenham, Texas on uh, October the 8th. I, I forgot Brenham. Each and every one of these Friends dinners is distinct and unique. It's put together by local committee. They've got the help of the NRA field representative in their area, and these are some of the hardest-working men and women that you will meet. Man, they have a territory. David Wells, uh, who I've gotten to know pretty well, his territory stretches from uh, eastern shore of Maryland uh, all the way through to, like, I-81 in Virginia, which is a huge swath of territory, and uh, the District of Columbia as well. And then you've got uh, Jim Kilgore, who is uh, western Virginia, everything past I-81 in uh, western Maryland and uh, into West Virginia as well. Uh, these field reps in, in uh, Texas, I, I've had the opportunity to meet uh, and get to know Liz Foley, who is the South Texas field rep. Texas has three field reps because it's a huge state. Uh, but you've got a North Texas, you've got a, a South Texas uh, field rep, and then you've got uh, a Western Texas field rep, uh, Jack Cannon. Uh, and then Tom Ulick is the uh, regional director over there. There's a, there's a regional director overseeing um, the field reps. But these are, seriously, they are just such hardworking individuals. They love what they do. They are uh, constantly traveling. They are so connected and so involved uh, with NRA members across the state that they are in. It is so cool to see. It is so neat to be a part of this uh, in some small way, whether it's getting a chance to go out and, and talk to uh, uh, friends' dinners or go to my own local friends' dinner. It's just, it's the great, it's, it's, I won't say it's the greatest program in the world. I don't want to be all hyperbolic. It's, it's beautiful. It's huge. But it is a great program. And I always have fun. Uh, I won't say that I always walk away uh, having won a firearm. In fact, last year was the first year that that actually happened. But uh, I do usually walk away. I, in fact, I will say I always walk away with something cool that I have picked up. Uh, at a friend's dinner, and I've, I've never had a bad time. I'll tell you that right now. So find a friend's dinner near you. Uh, it's friendsofnra.org. Next week on the program, I will tell you all about uh, the uh, Heart of Virginia Friends of NRA dinner. If you're hearing this before Saturday, September 26th, and you would like to come out, you can get your tickets online. I will see you there. It's going to be a good time. I promise you that. Uh, now, when we come back after a, a quick break uh, here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, I do want to get to some of your uh, emails. Again, the email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. That's 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, I don't really have a book report for you this week. I've been uh still often reading about communism in the United States in the 1930s and 40s, and it's fascinating. It really is fascinating, but I, I, I'm not sure that I'm uh, well-read enough yet to really talk about it without it coming off as boring, if that makes any sense to you. I, I don't think that I would do the stories uh, 
justice. Uh, but I will say that uh, there are a couple of uh, books out there that have been uh, really fascinating to read. You know, if you're interested in sort of communism in the United States and the anti-communist movement, and here we go. I'm going to start talking about it, and hopefully it's not boring. Uh, the book to start with is, is Whitaker Chambers' Witness. I mean, this is sort of the gold standard of personal testimony of I was a communist and I left and here's why uh, and here's what I did as a communist and here's how I've tried to find redemption. Uh, it, the, the book is more than 50 years old now. It was one of uh, Ronald Reagan's favorites. It is still, uh, you know, it, it's more than 50 years old. It doesn't read like it. Uh, it reads like a Tom Clancy book almost. Uh, Whitaker Chambers is a magnificent writer. And it's such a compelling story. But I didn't realize that there were so many others like Whitaker Chambers who uh, had left communism and then had, had written sort of their, their testimonial. Uh, Elizabeth Bentley is a name that is I, – I, I'd never heard of Elizabeth Bentley until I started reading Whitaker Chambers' book Witness. But while this woman is forgotten today, she was big news. Uh, she came out uh, as a Soviet – a spy, uh, you know, born in America, went to Vassar College. Uh, but in 1948, she thought that the FBI was on to her, so she went to them first. As it turns out, they had no idea what she was doing. They were looking at some of her associates. Uh, but she came clean, spilled the beans, named names uh, about Soviet agents, people who were working for the Soviet government, communists uh, who were lying about their association, who were passing secrets. Uh, during World War II, before World War II, to the Soviet Union. Uh, this, by the way, is before Joseph McCarthy. Uh, before McCarthyism uh, uh, turned this um, issue of, of communists working in the uh, U.S. government uh, into the quote-unquote Red Scare, uh, there was... There, there was a, a, a real problem with Soviet espionage uh, in our U.S. government. So Elizabeth Bentley wrote a book called Out of Bondage. I haven't read it, but there was a biography of Elizabeth Bentley that came out a few years ago that I uh, read this week. Uh, Walter Kravitsky, who uh, came out with a book in, I believe, 1940 called I Was in Stalin's Secret Service. And then Kravitsky mysteriously died the next year in Washington, D.C., two years after he had defected. Uh, it was ruled a suicide, but a lot of folks thought that this was uh, Stalin getting his revenge. Remember, this is right about the time that Stalin uh, had uh, Trotsky assassinated. Uh, and all of this is playing out, you know, in the United States with this uh, open uh, Communist Party, which had very few members and uh, not a lot of influence. But as it turned out, the uh, the the underground was very active. And a lot of this – so when this was uncovered in the 40s – and again, this is, <laughs> I hope I'm not boring you. If I, if I am, I guess you've already started fast forwarding. Uh, anyway, when this was uncovered in the 1940s, when Elizabeth Bentley came forward and Kravitsky had come forward uh, and had defected, um, you know, uh, almost 10 years earlier uh, in 1939, when Chambers came forward in 1948, all of this is in the early days of the Cold War. And these are people who are warning um, in, in some cases, uh, and, and, and in some cases sort of reluctantly testifying, but they're warning about what the Soviet Union had been doing, what the Soviet Union was capable of doing, trying to get people to realize that the Soviet Union was already at war with the United States. 
uh, whether we liked it or not, they viewed us as a hostile nation. And at the time, the intelligentsia and the intellectuals, uh, the leading lights of the left, all said, no, 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 we're being warmongers. We're viewing this uh, nation with suspicion when what we should be doing is offering out an olive branch of friendship and uh, trying to get along in this world. Um, so this was a, a a relatively unpopular thing to do, uh, to come forward and speak out about the dangers of communism. It didn't make one uh, a popular person in the mainstream media. Um, they, there was a, a very much an attempt to try to uh, tear down uh, individuals like Whitaker Chambers uh, and Elizabeth Bentley. Uh, very actually, actually very similar to what we see uh, with the tearing down of uh, public figures and uh, celebrity figures today. So it, it, it's it's fascinating. I mean, there are a lot of really interesting uh, asides and uh, 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 just you know, the, uh, frankly, the fact that uh, so many agents. Uh, who were working for the Soviet government, either directly or indirectly, uh, were in our U.S. government, particularly during World War II. This was rather shocking to me. One of the books that I uh, read um, over the past week or so, it's a book called Venona, and it's nominally about the Venona Files, which was an FBI project that uh, decrypted Soviet cables that discussed Soviet agents in the United States. And Venona was active uh, through World War II, but we didn't actually decode any of the messages until after World War II was over. So we had about two years' worth of traffic that we had captured. And this, was, this wasn't everything, but we had captured some, some of the radio transmissions over a two-year period of time. Uh, and over 50 years, the FBI uh, decrypted most of these cables, about 2,000 of them. Uh, and even though this is only an incomplete record of what the Soviets were communicating uh, with each other here in the United States and uh, in Moscow, uh, it was enough to confirm that there was a major effort, a successful effort uh, by the Soviet Union to spy. Uh, and uh, there were a number of high-level officials in our U.S. government who really, truly were communists, uh, many of them lied under oath about being communists. And we, in some cases, uh, did not have the evidence outside of these uh, top-secret classified cables uh, to convict these individuals. And none of this was known <laughs> for for 50 years. Um, you know, the, the left uh, contended that Alger Hiss, for instance, uh, was innocent and that uh, this was all a red scare, that there was never a uh, problem with the uh, Soviet espionage uh, in the U.S. government. And then after the fall of the Soviet Union, the KGB started releasing some of its files and allowing access to its files. The FBI ultimately declassified the uh, Venona uh, files themselves in, in, I believe, 1995, uh, after more than 50 years. And then we were able to see that absolutely... Uh, Elizabeth Bentley was was telling the truth uh, when she named names. Whitaker Chambers was telling the truth when he named names about uh, higher-ups in the Roosevelt administration uh, who were sympathetic uh, and in some cases are working with uh, Soviet intelligence. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's mind-blowing. 
I never read about it uh, in high school. But then again, I was in high school before the Venona files were declassified. But, you know, I don't think they're teaching this uh, in our high schools today. I don't uh, my my 15 year old taking U.S. history. I will be shocked uh, if the history that is taught uh, when they get to World War II even acknowledges the uh, amount of espionage and infiltration that went on. And the sympathies, that, that, this is the other thing, the sympathies, uh, and in some cases, the sworn devotion to a, a foreign nation um, that we saw displayed uh, and acted on, again, by some of our government officials. It's a shocking and appalling uh, part of our U.S. history, and it really isn't talked about much. So apparently I, uh, I I felt like I could talk about that a little bit more than I thought. Hopefully that wasn't boring for you. Uh, and as I uh, learn more and read more, I will uh, probably talk more about it too because it it is such a uh, – I'm, I'm learning – the more I read about the 1930s, the more I'm reading and learning that the country went nearly crazy – uh, culturally, socially, we nearly lost our minds uh, in the 1930s. Came dangerously close to destroying the American experiment uh, and may have permanently altered it, whether we meant to or not. <laughs> and, and it's not just the, the communists. I mean, it's Huey Long. It's Father Coughlin. Uh, it's some of the, the, the just the, the, so many Americans in the grips of the Depression, uh, felt like capitalism had failed, felt like uh, the time had, had come and gone, and the Soviet Union in the 1930s was a vision of the future to a lot of Americans. You thought we were backwards, we were, we were doing it wrong to be progressive, was to look to the Soviet Union. In fact, the uh, Soviet Union... Uh, called its Constitution of 1936 the most progressive constitution that the world had ever seen. I'm really, really glad that uh, it didn't win out. But unfortunately, I think it had its influence. All right, listen, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back with more 40 Acres and a Fool, we're going to get to some of your thoughts this week. Stick around, and thanks for being a part of this week's 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. America WK with your host, Andrew WK. Much more we can do to improve our lives by working from the inside out. Really, no problem can be solved from the outside in. And even if it is solved, it's just some type of band-aid. We have to heal things, fix things, improve things from the center, from the core. And that actually begins in us, not in anyone else. America WK, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon on the Blaze Radio Network. Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we are back here on 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, and I want to thank those of you who wrote in uh, over the past week. We want to start 
with an email from, I'm going to call him Mo. Uh, Mo wrote in, said, uh, good afternoon, sir. I've read your column in America's First Freedom for years. I've discovered your show and I was exploring the blaze.com, downloaded the show from the beginning. And I am now up to mid-May so far in three days. Wow. Mo, thank you. And that was three days ago. So Mo is probably getting pretty close to uh, late September. Uh, Mo says, since you've asked people to write, I will do so later about our near future farm plans. When I retire again, Mo says, Mo, 20 plus years in the Marines as a a gunnery sergeant currently uh, in his uh, 20th year as a police officer in California. Uh, Mo says, uh, I don't have time to write about our farm plans right now. I'm working on a long honeydew list. <laughs> but, he says, and I'm sorry to have to chide you in the very first email I sent, but, he says, as an Oregon boy uh, who grew up in the Willamette, Willamette? Like cat, he says. He says, it has its stress on the A, and it's a short A, pronounced as in cat. So, Willamette, the Willamette Valley, fished in the Willamette River, and who many years ago played football against the cheesemakers, and again, apparently I I mispronounced this, um, the Tillamook cheesemakers of Tillamook High. Mo says, I literally cringe, and he says, in contrary fashion, I am using the word literally correctly, and my ears hurt. He says, all right, that one was figurative. Each time I hear you say either word, Willamette or Tillamook. <laughs> I want to make sure that I do this right, Mo. Uh, and Mo, I appreciate you writing in. He says, until we speak again, I have, I have these requests. Do the show more often than once a week uh, and have your wife on every episode. She's fun, Mo says. She is fun. Mo. Uh, more than once a week, that we'll we'll work on that. <laughs> we will definitely work on that. And next week we'll uh we'll bring Miss E back in as well. And and hopefully, Mo, the next time I end up talking about Oregon. It is Oregon, right? It's not like Oregon. I haven't been mispronouncing it this entire time. Hopefully, the next time we talk about Oregon, I will get Willamette and Tillamook, uh, pronounced correctly. And if I if I didn't get it right this time, Mo, I know you'll let me know. This is as an aside. Is um, since this is forty acres and a fool. Th- this is how I I feel foolish all the time. Uh, is trying to pronounce town names like locals pronounce them, and it is absolutely impossible to do. I will tell you this right now. It is virtually impossible to do this. I never really understood this when I was starting out in radio because I started out in Oklahoma and I grew up in Oklahoma. So it was no big deal. Potawatomi. Okay, it's Potawatomi. Tahlequah. How how, how could anybody look at that and see anything other than Tahlequah? Uh, Yes, I know the difference between Washita and Wichita. (laughs) Right? But, but, oh, oh, and Muskogee. Uh, and did I say Potawatomi? Potawatomi was always my favorite county name. I loved being able to say things like, 
It's a severe thunderstorm. Watch for Pottawatomie County. Cause how, just say it. Pottawatomie. Oh, it's just a fun word to say. But we had an anchor come into the radio station and he moved in from out of the area. Uh, he moved from Wisconsin, which also has a lot of Native American names, but they don't, the, the pronunciation is completely different. And so this poor anchor, now at the time I didn't realize poor anchor, at the time I was just a young, cocky, stupid reporter. So I was thinking, <laughs> dummy, mm-hmm. came back to bite me, let me tell you, karma. Uh, anyway, I, I'm listening to him say things like, uh, there's a severe thunderstorm watch that's been issued for Potawatomi County and uh, also looking at a, a cell moving towards uh, Muscogee. Uh, that should be good. And, you're just, and I understand because I'm cringing. And even if it wasn't the Native American words, he'd pronounce, we have a town in Oklahoma called Prague. Uh, it's not. No, it's not called Prague. It looks like Prague, as in you know, the the European city. But it's not pronounced Prague in Oklahoma. It's pronounced Prague in Oklahoma. We have a town that looks like it should be Miami in Oklahoma, but it's not Miami in Oklahoma. It's Miami in Oklahoma. But in Ohio, it's Miami, and in Florida, it's Miami. But in Oklahoma, it's Miami. And if you say Miami, you're going to get 20 phone calls into the radio station saying, hey, dummy, it's not Miami, it's Miami. <laughs> so when you are talking about stories from across the country, uh, as a host, let me just please ask you for some patience and some understanding. Because it's not that we're morons. Not always, anyway. Sometimes it's just we're, we're doing the best we can. And we know that we're probably not going to pronounce it correctly. At least not how the locals pronounce it. It took me a long time to learn that it's Missouri, not Missouri. Uh, I still can't get, I think it's Nolans, But you sound stupid if you're not from New Orleans and you pronounce it Nolans. You sound like you're trying to be from Nolans. So I say New Orleans. I don't say New Orleans. Uh, and, and again, that just made somebody cringe like nails on a chalkboard too. So it's going to be impossible for a host to always get the pronunciation right. Please have some patience with us. Send us the email. Let us know. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's okay to have some fun in the email as well. So, Mo, thank you, sir, for uh, writing in. It's fantastic meeting you, and uh, look forward to hearing more about your future farm plans. Thank you for your service, uh, both uh, as a Marine and as a law enforcement officer as well. Uh, John wrote in as well. He says, Cam, I'm getting caught up on some podcasts, and I heard you talk about chili dogs. Yes, sir. And he said, you should try Moore's Country Store in Virginia, on uh, Route 460, just east of Lynchburg. It says it's easy to spot as it has the tree growing through the roof. <laughs> oh, I love it. He says they're known for their chili dogs. You can purchase some of their chili, which goes great, mixed with ground beef, and then grilled as burgers. John, I appreciate this. I have, I, I've driven on 460 uh, between Farmville and Lynchburg many a time, and I, and I know... Moore's Country Store, uh, I know the store that you're talking about. It's um, I, I never stop because it's it's always it's too close to Lynchburg for me to stop. Like I'm going to Lynchburg, so if I need a drink or anything, I've I've gotten that in Farmville. Um, 
And then if I'm leaving Lynchburg, I usually still have my drink in the car with me. Uh, anyway, I will try Moore's Country Store the next time that I am headed to Lynchburg because, yes, I do love a good chili dog. Now, John also let me know that I am a moron when it comes to pronouncing Virginia names. See, that's the thing, right? Oklahoma, I know the names in Oklahoma. In Virginia, I, I've lived in Virginia for 10 years, but I lived in the D.C. area for eight of those years. And so I never really got outside of the Beltway, so I could pronounce Falls Church and Clifton, and I learned Aquaquan. That took me a while. But anything beyond that, I didn't really learn and explore. So John says uh, it is Tazewell, Virginia. It is not Tazewell, Virginia, even though it looks like it should be Tazewell, Virginia. It is Tazewell, Virginia. That is not how, I mean, there are a lot of confusing uh, town names in Virginia. There is, uh, it, it, it looks like it should be Buena Vista. Simplest thing in the world, right? Buena Vista. No, it's not pronounced Buena Vista. It's pronounced something like Buena Vista. Uh, there's also, uh, up near Charlottesville, there is Crozet. Fine. It's fine. It's got the little slash mark over the... Fine. Whatever. You want to pronounce it like it's fine. Crozet. I would have thought that in Virginia, Crozet, even if it was originally pronounced with the French accent, would have had over time turned into Crozet. But no! No! In Oklahoma... Prague became Prague, but in Virginia, Crozet stayed Crozet. I, I can't figure it out. There is no rhyme or reason. But I promise to take note when you correct me of any additional uh, town names that I might say here on 40 Acres and a Fool. In the meantime, <laughs> I better wrap things up. Uh, thanks again, John, for uh, the recommendation, and thanks again for the pronunciation help. I will always take it, particularly uh, when it comes to the state that I currently live in because I don't want to sound like a goober and I don't want to be a, a geographic goober. So a uh, John from Manboro, and I think I got that right, but let me know if I didn't. And until we meet again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. We'll talk to you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.